sometimes it takes a little bit of that, just that, that pushing through kind of how you feel, or feel a little bit, ah, a little tired or whatever, but just realizing, wow, God, you're good. No matter what I feel like today, you deserve praise. And as you push through that, Man, it's amazing what just happens uh, in your life as you connect with him. Believe for great things for you and uh, for you that are here this morning as we just look at his word. If you're listening online, we are glad that you're there. I want to give a shout out to Dietrich and Victoria Reinhardt out, out east. I tried to say hi to you guys a few weeks ago, but it didn't work. But I know you're listening. And for others who are listening around, would love to hear from you. Let us know how uh, God is impacting your life. And uh, for those here this morning, uh, maybe you don't realize that there's people all over uh, that are that check in online, which is just kind of neat to see that this little church out in the middle of nowhere, you're making a difference all around whether you realize it or not. So thank you for doing this with us. Uh, It would not be happening if you weren't uh, here this morning. So thank you for being a part of this family. Love you guys. Uh, Wasn't here last week. Uh, I I missed uh, the Saturday night service totally. I didn't get to speak last Sunday. Uh, Gary shared, and man, what a great job that he did. If you were not here last week, please go listen online because it's something I think our whole church needs to hear. His message was, forgiven people forgive people. And, uh, you know, as I was listening to that um, here last Sunday, I was sitting here, I'm like, man, I am really started taking notes, and all of a sudden my brain goes to that place of like, wow, you know, so-and-so should have been here. Like, I'm looking around, like, why aren't they here? This is the message they need to, to hear. And I'm like, maybe I'll just text them all the points, you know? And, and all of a sudden, that little voice in the inside is like, Mark, you're the one who's supposed to be listening to this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but them too. Don't worry about them. I'll worry about them next time. But you, you need to be listening to this. And as I was listening to it, and I, uh, even through this week again, that, that thought of forgiven people, Forgiven people forgive people. I mean, how many of you know you're forgiven? As a follower of Jesus, you've been completely forgiven. How many of you know that? That is good news. Like, I I don't know about you, but maybe on the way here, you're like, you know, yelling at your wife, you know, pinching the kids in the back seat as you're on the way here. You're like, you get in here like, oh, God, you know, here I am to worship. But boy, I just, I feel like I've screwed up royally already today. The good news about Jesus is that he's taken care of that. You might have to make it right with your wife and kids after church, but he's taken care of it. You're good with him because of the cross. And there's something great in that, that thought of we are forgiven. Do you know you're forgiven? Yeah, and forgiven people forgive others is what the point was, which is true, but it's not always true. I don't know if you realize that as much as I did, but though I know I'm forgiven, there are moments in my life where that is not always true. That though I am forgiven, I have not always forgiven others in, uh, around me. And this morning, I wanted to share a little bit uh, based on what Gary started last week and take it just one step further this morning. You know, maybe you're like, well, I don't know. I think I've forgiven everybody. I think everything's kind of, I think everything's good. Um, but let me ask you a couple questions. You ever, do you ever hear a name? And this, it doesn't even matter if it's that person. It's just they have the same name, and all of a sudden these feelings start coming inside. It starts with that low gurgle in there. You're like, you're looking around, make sure no one else knows, but your temperature's going up. You're just like, why? And they keep mentioning that name, and all of a sudden it's like alien just comes out. You're like, oh, oh, you know. And then all of a sudden out of your mouth comes something that you're like, where did that come from? We were sitting a couple of months ago downstairs in my office, and Beth was like on Instagram. I don't know what I was doing. I was going to say I was reading, but I don't read. So I don't know what I was doing. I was down there, and, and uh, uh, she's on the Instagram. And all of a sudden, this, this person comes up on there, and she's like, oh, hey, so-and-so is doing this, starting this new thing. And I'm like, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, out comes like, ugh, hope that venture fails. I'm like, what? Where? I know. Just being honest. I'm going to ask you to be honest in a minute. You know what? I'm like, where did that where did that come from? I was like, I even said, I'm like, 
Beth, like, wow, like, I have not thought about this person in over a year. I've not seen them in over a year. I'm not Instagram because I just want to like all the people. I don't go on Facebook because I just don't want to see all the, you know, I just want to like everybody. And, and all of a sudden, it just came, and I was like, oh. And I was like, there's something deep down in there that, that's just, it's been there the whole time, but just all of a sudden had moment to come out. And for you, that's my question this morning. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's somebody you know. Like, you know, we mentioned some names this morning. What happens when we say the word mother-in-law? I love that there's laughter. That's good. That's healthy. Um, What what happens if you hear the name of your ex-boyfriend? What about the ex-girlfriend? Ex-spouse? The one who cheated on you? What if it was your parents? What about your child that has done you wrong, that is like, you know, you haven't seen in a while, and you hear that, you hear the name, all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> that stuff starts churning on the inside. You ever have that? Maybe it's, maybe it's something um, personal, uh, and you're, you're not sure, you know, maybe it's somebody from Kingsway. Maybe it's like, you know, a Saturday night person. Maybe that's why you go here. You know, I know some of those Saturday night people. I know. Hey, oh, sorry. Some of them are here this morning. Don't worry. I, I told them it was you last night, right? <laughs> But, but maybe, you know, maybe there's someone, you, they sit on the other side and, you know, you're good to be at Kingsway as long as you don't have to see them too often or as long as you don't, as long as they're not like in the cafe or greeting you at the door, you know, as long as you try and sneak by them, you, you kind of got this thing, you know, it's like, uh, it, it's, this, it's this little bit of like, uh, on the inside. You know, maybe it's personal, maybe it's political, maybe it's not personal at all, but you see these people. <laughs> Kathleen, you hear the word Doug. Forward to people, you know, or uh, Andrea Horvath, or, or you hear these names, and what, what kind of stuff comes up inside when you, when you hear these names? Um, I almost didn't dare talk about politics today, you know, mentioning Justin Trudeau, or for some of you, it's Donald Trump and others, and, and I was like, uh, you know, it's a little bit risky sometimes to talk about, but why? It shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be, but we really, one of the things that uh, uh, I find is that this whole political thing can bring out the worst in people, brings out the worst in, in us. Um, I was at soccer the other night, and uh, it was the day of the vote, and so, um, somebody f- that was from our church there, she's like, um, do I dare ask you, you know, who you voted for? And I was like, oh, you dare. You know, you go ahead. You know, I, I'm fine. I don't, I, I don't know why that's, she's like, well, because you never know what somebody's going to, you know, say or think, and they asked who I voted for, and I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it is kind of interesting the way we do this whole voting thing. Everything is super secretive. I don't know if you realize that. You know, for those of you who voted, you went, like for me, my voting experience, I went to the, I went to the place, and I got in there, and like, do you have ID? I'm like, oh, I don't have ID. Can you just, I have a card. Like, no, we need ID. And don't worry, it's completely confidential. I'm like, okay, but it's, my name's on the card. My name's on the ID. You're like, what do you, it's, it's like, no, it's just, we just need to know. So I'm like, okay, fine, go back to my car, get my wallet, show me ID. She reminds me again, don't worry, it's completely confidential. I'm like, okay, good. Then she's like, then you go, you go in here and go talk to that person way over there. And, uh, and then I get to that guy and he's like, he's like, I just need to see your car and your ID, but don't worry, it's completely confidential. I'm like, Okay, and then he shows me this huge black ballot, and he says, okay, you know, you open this. There'll be a list of names in no particular order, and he says, you just check one off behind that little box, and for those of you who don't even, and then he says at the end, don't worry, it's completely confidential. And then I get to the last guy who's got the machine that sucks in my ballot, and he's like, don't worry. He's like, just, he's like, almost like this, putting it in, as if he might, just might see. It's completely confidential. I'm like, what is everybody's problem? Do they think, like, if they see who I voted for, or, like, that I might have to just go out in the parking lot, they're just going to run me over after if I just voted for the wrong party? Like, but there's this thing. And you know why they have to do that? It's because 
People feel very strongly about this. There's this that, that, that slow gurgle all throughout our, our province of these, these, that these names can bring up. You know, it's, it's weird because I got to go in. There was this lineup of people who had to, to vote. And the lady at the door, first one, says, hey, you just go around and you just go right to the front of the line, the, the second line. And so I'm walking past people. And they all look at me with that look like, who do you think you are? You know, like, I'm like walking like one after another after another. I'm like, and then after all their looks, I'm like, uh, like, it really is, like, this far. I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm in the right line? And then they're like, yeah, you're in the right line. I'm like, why are you guys in this line? And, like, we didn't get a voter card. I'm like, oh. I'm like, well, I got I'm like, why didn't, you know, like, we don't know why we didn't get one. I'm like, well, maybe they knew who you were going to vote for, so they didn't send you one, right? <laughs> and that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> they, I got dirty looks all the way back, and then the person at the back of the line starts yelling at me. Across, it's in Parkview Meadows. This is like a nice little place, right? It's a senior's home, and they're, and they're like, I didn't want to vote for any of these people. Like, you know, if I could, I would start my own party, and, you know, maybe I was like, well, I'd vote for you, you know? Like, so next in four years, when the CLP comes out, the crazy lady party, you can join me in voting for, for her. But, but it was like, out of nowhere, perfect strangers. And, you know, most, most Canadians are pretty calm, pretty like, we don't, we don't get out there and say, you know, exactly what we're feeling, but, but until we get behind our computers, and then we feel super brave, and then there's a meme of Kathleen Wynne compared to animals and whatever else, and all of a sudden we start sending that around, or liking that, or laughing about that, and, and we send this thing around, like, ah, oh, that's, that's how we really feel. So maybe there's this thing, you know, it's just like, it's personal, sometimes political, and the third thought is this, maybe it's perennial for you. I know that doesn't seem to match at all, right? Perennials like garden flowers and everything, but it started with a P, so I chose it. But, uh, you know, when you're planting your gardens, it's kind of that season right now, and as we're moving, I just went out and saw and looked at all my gardens, and I never thought I'd be a gardener, but, but I, I start looking at all my garden stuff. I'm like, I'm going to have to say goodbye to all my hostas and my peonies. That's not my garden, but... Uh, <laughs> This is the one that's going to be on my computer screen, so I still feel like I have one, right? But it's like hostas and my, 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 um, my tulips and my peonies. I'm like, I have to say goodbye to them, the perennials that I just I look for every single year. And, and yet there's this one plant I'm not sad to say goodbye to at all. It's this thing called lemon mint. It's supposed to be mint, but it smells like lemon, so, I, and it's the worst plant ever. Like, it's nice the first time you get it. this little plant, smells a little bit like lemon in your, in your garden, and then it just never goes away. It starts taking over everything. I've tried everything to kill it. I've ripped it out of the ground, and then it grew up five feet away, and then I'm like, I poured water, hot, boiling hot water on that, and it grew up in another place. It's taken over my, I tried Roundup the whole thing, and killed everything else, and what comes up in the spring? That little lemon mint. You know, and I think that sometimes for some of us, we, that's the same for us. It's like there's this thing down deep inside that just every once in a while, it just starts to come up again. You hear that name. You think about that person. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's voting time, and <laughs> this stuff starts churning. You have it? We'll see. This morning, I just want to talk a little bit about that. John, the disciple, an eyewitness of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that same John. He's an old guy, and he had seen a lot. He had outlived all of the other disciples, and he, was, um, he had become a pastor at a church in Ephesus. We believe that this letter that he wrote uh, about 60 years after Jesus passed away, John was old, old. He's writing this letter. Either he's in Ephesus writing to them, or he's writing from somewhere to Ephesus. But there's this definite connection with these people, and he begins writing them a number of letters, uh, uh, just to, uh, talking to them about, about what life is like without... Uh, Life is like living with Christ. 
Um, you know, they're like, John, you know, you said Jesus is coming back. He hasn't come back yet. You're pretty close to dying. Tell us, tell us what you think. And so John begins to write. And, and if you have your Bible, go to 1 John. And in this particular letter that he writes, he wrote the book of John, the, the account of Jesus' life, and then he wrote these three letters. In the, this particular letter, he's warning readers about the dangers of false teaching that's coming around the church, and he's, he's seen it, he's heard about it, and he writes this letter, and the thing is with John, he's, he, he writes in such a forward manner, like you can guess that he's old, because he just tells you what he's thinking. You know, do you guys know any old people like that? They just, they can get away with anything, um, my grandma, she's grandma by marriage, but she's still my grandma. She can just say anything. Like, you're out with her, and she's like, wow. You know, you're at the restaurant, she's like, wow, you think she really needs two chicken nuggets? Like, look at she's gained a little bit of weight. And you're like, grandma, you can't say that, you know? Or like, like, how, like she seriously thinks she can go out wearing those two pieces of clothing together? What is she thinking, you know? And you're like, grandma, she's like right here, right? Like, she can hear you. If you see my grandma, don't tell her I was preaching about her, but they just say things straight out. And you know, John is, as uh, at this stage of his life, he just says it like it is. He just says it in love, which is a whole lot easier for people to handle. But he says things, in, he says things just the way they are. And so he starts kind of the first part of the letter off uh, with, this, with this greeting about you know, living life in Christ. And then the middle part, they call it chapter two. There's no chapters, but it's just a second uh, batch of thinking in his letter. Here's what he writes. First John chapter two, verse one. He says, my dear children, He's like, I care about you guys. I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. He's like, I'm writing to you guys so you don't sin. It would be great if, if I could just say, you know, uh, write a letter to all of you. Hey, I'm writing this letter to you, and from now on you won't sin because you got my letter. Well, that's great. It would be like, oh, that's <laughs> sign me up, right? He's like, I'm writing this so you don't sin. And we hear the word sin. We, our minds go to all kinds of different places. But this word was more of an, was an archery term back then. They said, you know, I'm writing this so you don't miss the mark. I don't, like when you miss the target, I'm writing this so you don't miss the target, that you don't, that you don't wander away from the truth of what we're supposed to be living. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this so you don't sin. But if you do sin, if you miss the mark, if you miss the target, if you get it wrong, he says, you know, don't, this isn't, this isn't to like put condemnation on you. He says, if you do miss it, he says, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ. That is good news for us too, that, you know, if you, if you miss it, the cross stands for you to say, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. He's Jesus Christ. He's the one who's truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sin of the whole world. So John writes his thought. He says, you know, my dear children, I don't want you to miss the mark. You know why? Because it's kind of easy to do. He says, it's kind of easy to drift from this truth, this truth of, uh, that I'm about to share with you. You don't always even realize it's happening. It's like that thing that just comes up on the inside. You didn't even know it was there. But that word perennial, it means that's kind of ongoing, and it seems like it continues for an infinite amount of time. He says, you're forgiven in Christ, but not just to be forgiven. It's supposed to affect the way you live. And he says it uh, plain as day a couple verses later, 1 John 2, verse 6. He says, those who say they live in God, which means those who say they're a follower of Jesus, those who say they are our Christian, he says, those who say... They live, in, uh, they live in Christ, or live in God, should live their lives the way Jesus did. He's like, that's what that means. If you're going to say, yes, I'm a Christian, it's got to affect your life in a very real way. This life in Christ is life in Christ, lived out in Christ. And he wants it to affect our way, the way we live, not just what we believe. So often we can, be, um, we can fall into that temptation of our faith is something that we believe to be true. 
You know, we think it's important. We believe that uh, uh, forgiveness is important. As we heard last week with Gary, what a powerful thought, that forgiveness is an important thing for, for followers of Jesus to do. How many would agree? You just say, yes, I think. Let's just quick show of hands. How many think forgiveness is an important thing? So how many of you know that we think there's lots of things that are important that we don't always do? Uh-huh. How many of you think flossing your teeth is important? Smile. <laughs> How many think drinking eight glasses of water a day is important? Yeah, we think that's important. How many of us do that every day? How? <laughs> He's working on it. How many of you, uh, how do you think, you know, that exercise is important? Okay, we're done. All right, so <laughs> I don't exercise either. You know, I, it's like one of these things that we think is important, but we don't always do. And that's what John's writing. He said, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you just to think, hey, I believe something's important. He says, I, I want to make sure that you do. In verse 7, he says, dear friends. He says, you know, dear children, dear friends, man, I care about you people. He's like, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one that you had from the very beginning. And this old commandment, not kind of option, but it's commandment. He says, to love one another. It's the same message you heard before. So I'm not telling you something new. I'm just reminding you of something you've heard before. And I'm reminding you of something that you actually believe to be important. He's like, I want to remind you of something. He says this, but it is new. Yeah, I, just, I know. I just said it's not new, but it is new. There's something new to this commandment of love one another. He says it's also new that because Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. He didn't just talk about the truth of this commandment. He lived the truth of this commandment. He says, you're also living in it, for the darkness is disappearing. The true light is already shining in you. He says, if anyone claims I'm living in light but, I, but hates a fellow believer, that person's still living in darkness. What does he say to them? He's saying, hey, this whole idea of being, you know, saying, yes, I'm a Christian, it's got to affect the way we live. He says, he says, whoever hates a believer, you know, hates a fellow Kingsway follower of Jesus. Like, well, I don't really hate anybody. Hate's a pretty strong word, wouldn't you agree? You look around, I don't think there's anybody who hates anybody. But see, so I looked up the word. I want to know what it meant. So I looked it up. And do you know what hate means in Greek? To hate. I was like, well, that's pretty clear. But then there's a whole bunch more thoughts. And as it goes, it gets worse for us. He says to hate, to detest. Detest means like, I, you know, I really don't like those, those people. And like, well, I don't really detest them. I, I, don't, I, I know I love them because Jesus told me to, but I don't really, I just don't like them. I don't detest them. I, just don't, I don't really like them. You know, to dislike intensely. Well, I dislike them, but not intensely. So I, I should be okay. And then he gets his last one, to love less. To love less than you should. To love them less than you ought to. And you're like, oh, well, I don't know. I, I mean, Kathleen Wynn, Doug Ford. I don't know if I, you know, to dislike intensely, maybe something there. But do I love them less than I should? Do I love them less than I ought? And it begins to, begins to poke a little bit at, at our hearts. You know, it says Jesus lived the truth of the commandment. It was his commandment. He wasn't just saying, hey, you guys do this. He lived it out. He said his commandment, his main commandment was love others the way that I loved you. Love others the way that I loved you. And then, you know, we think of John saying, hey, we want you to love all the believers. And he basically says to them, if you don't, if you don't love the believers, if you, don't, if you don't have that, he says, you really don't understand what this whole thing is about. He says, because it's so much deeper than that. And here's what Jesus did. Jesus took it to a level that's just... I don't know, something we need to think about. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to a crowd of people, and we believe that he shared this type of message often all over the place. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
You shall love your neighbor, the people you like, and hate the other political party, hate the other, you know, the other people from the church down the road, hate the other whatever it is. Hate those who don't like you. Hate your enemy. But he says in verse 44, but I say to you, and he gives a number of words, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. See those words in yellow? He says, here's the way I want you to treat people. He says, I want you to love them. Love's a verb. It's not like a feeling. It's like he does not say, hey, I want you to feel loving feelings for all the people in, the, in this building. It's not like, you know, we've lost that love and feeling. You know, I'm trying to get it back. No, it's like he says, this is a verb. This is something I want you to, to do. Love's not a feeling. It's an action. And you're like, well, what are those actions? 1 Corinthians 13 says them pretty clear. You know, be patient with them. Be kind to them. Don't be jealous of them. You know, and don't keep a record of wrongs. That's kind of how love treats people. Uh, It acts that out. And then he says, you know, I want you to bless them. What's bless mean? You know, just like, I bless you. Whatever religious symbols you have. No, he's like, "I I want you to use your tongue to speak good of them. I want you to use your tongue to speak um, blessing on, to speak well of, to honor them. You know, and he says in the next one, he says, do good. That's two verbs put together. He said, I want you to act rightly. I want you to honor people. I want you to um, act rightly towards them. And then the last one was pray. And I looked that up too. You know what it means? Pray. He's like, pray for them. He's like, this is what I want you to do for people. The followers of Jesus, the other people in our midst. He's like, this is what I want you to do towards them. Love them, bless them, uh, do good towards them and pray for them. And as we think about that in light of what John said, you know who the others were was the other believers. But John's like, he's borrowing from, from Jesus and Jesus took it so much deeper. Here's what he says, Matthew 5, 44. Who are the others? He says, but I say to you, love your, uh-huh, love your enemies. You know, you think enemy. Who do you think about? Who comes up with those things? This is the person who's done you wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, but you don't understand. They left our marriage. Yeah, yeah, you don't understand. You know, they cussed me out as they left the door after all I did for them. I raised that child, and then this is how they treat me. Yeah, yeah, you don't understand. My parents divorced when I was six, and I've been, like, trying to figure out my life ever since, and I, I just can't. I, I hold them responsible. You don't understand. That guy did me wrong in business, and I'm still paying off the debt of what he left me with. You don't understand. You don't understand. And Jesus is like, yeah, I understand. But he says, here's what, I, here's what I'm asking you to do is to love, not have a feeling of love, but love your enemies. You're like, well, how do I do that? He says, well, this, how would you treat your best friend? Treat them the same. How would you treat your family, the ones you love? Treat them the same. How would you treat me? Living out a response to me like, oh, that seems a little, a little tough. He says, then he says, no, I'm not done. He says, I want you to bless those. You know, bless those. Speak well of those who curse you. Speak well of those who don't speak well of you. That's hard, isn't it? Yeah, well, they tweeted that, so I'm going to like, I'm going to tweet this, and then I'm going to block them, you know, <laughs> or whatever. I'll just put it on Facebook. This is how I really feel, and then, you know, whatever. Maybe I can get others to, to join me in my, in my thoughts. You know, maybe if you're like, well, ah, that's tough. Maybe you can't take it from Jesus. Maybe you can take it from Thumper and Bambi. Uh, famous saying that if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. You know, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. You know, because really there's a basic truth that I think we forget to understand as followers of Jesus is that every person who's done us wrong, every political party that we don't agree with, every person that we come across and we think, oh, I disagree with, with, with them and that, that thing starts on the inside. Do you realize that this was for them? 
Do you realize that, that, that God loves them so much that he was willing to give his life for them? Do you realize that Jesus died for Kathleen Wynne? Do you realize, do we think about that, that Jesus died for Doug Ford? That Jesus died for your ex-spouse, your ex-boyfriend, that business person? Christ died for them. There's something powerful in that thought. You know, and then he says, do good, act rightly towards those that hate or detest you out of obedience to Christ. Honor them. All that means in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said to them, have the same attitude of Christ. Just think of them as better than yourself. Just think of them as better than, than you realizing we've all, we've all wronged, you know, Christ and, and his forgiveness for us. I just out of that, out of that being forgiven, would you just offer forgiveness to others? It's not a feeling. You're never going to feel like it, but would you do it? And then the last thing is this, would you pray? Would you pray for them? Would you pray for those who've done you wrong? And actually, he, he adds a number of words on there. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Pray for the people who insult you. Pray for those who've treated you abusively. Pray for those who've reviled you. Pray for those who harass you. And, and you're like, well, you know, I, I, how's that going to do anything? Do you know it's really difficult to hate somebody you're praying for? It's, it's genius, actually. He was like, you don't even need to go out right, start out and make things right with them. Just simply, would you pray for them? You know, I hear so much of us, you know, that's complaining about other people, complaining about things. But my thought is, have we, have we prayed for them? Before we start complaining about them, have we prayed for them? You know, before we complain about, you know, Kathleen, have we prayed for her? Before we complain about Doug and it's coming, have we prayed for him? You know, Andy Stanley in our marriage thing this this uh, week, the, the title of the What Happy Couples Know was Sometimes You Gotta Throw Things. And I was like, people came, they're like, what do we get to throw? Because it's, it's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> what, can, what can I throw at him? That's, a, that's allowed. And, and you know, it came to the understanding at the end that sometimes we just need to cast our cares on the Lord. We need to throw our cares in honest prayers to God. God, they, they have done me wrong. You know that, God, and I don't like it. I don't feel good on the inside, but here I am. I'm going to talk to you about this first. God, would you give me the strength to walk out what you said to do? I don't feel like loving them, but God, help me to be kind to them. Help me, I pray, to show them patience. Help me to not be jealous of what's going on, what, where they are in their life. God, help me to do good to them. Help me to speak words of life over them. God, would you, would you come into this situation that, that's in me right now? Because we can believe that forgiveness is important, but until we start to do these things, that's all that it is. And as, a, as John was saying to them, I don't want you to just to, to feel that way. I want you to do something about it. Have you prayed some honest prayers for Kathleen, for Doug, for Andrea, for any of the, the ones, for Justin? Because they could sure use your prayers. They sure could use them. You know, political, maybe as we think about it in, in our political realm, we, we look at things and say, well, if we don't like them, we just vote them out. <laughs> Did you realize that we've had the highest voter turnout in the last 20 years uh, this week simply for that reason alone? That, most, that a great uh, number of the people who voted said, I'm voting not for someone, I'm voting to get someone out. That's kind of the way the, the, way the, uh, the vote went uh, this time around. But, you know, as I thought about that, and I thought about these words that John wrote to the Jesus followers, I thought about the words that Jesus spoke to his, his followers there. And I want you to think about something with me this morning. It's, it's, I wonder what it was like for them to hear it the very first time. As they sat in a political uh, thing that was much, much more difficult than what we're in, we think our political situation is difficult or bad, but these people sitting on that hillside, these, these people in Ephesus, these followers of Jesus lived under Roman rule. There's a guy named Tiberius Caesar. They think he looked like this. I couldn't find one with more clothes, sorry. But Tiberius Caesar, 
I've been reading just a book about this guy and in the year AD 33 when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, this man was in power and he was a cruel, cruel ruler. He was so afraid that people would kill him that he built this island fortress on the island of Capri and he stayed in that place. But anybody who he heard, it didn't matter who they were, they were all instructed, if there was insurgents anywhere, take the leader and bring them to me. And so they would bring them to him and he would question them. And some of the stuff, if there wasn't anybody that was, um, you know, hadn't, hadn't come in lately. He just would go through his household and see the people, the slaves who had, you know, it says he even spilled some uh, of the wine on his, on his uh, garment. He would take them up to his balcony that overlooked the ocean and with a, a couple hundred foot drop, he would, he would take them out there and he would let them see from that place this amazing kingdom of his, remind them of who he was. And then he's saying, you've wronged me. And he would have them tossed over the balcony. And he would watch, and they write, write, he would take great joy as he would watch how far they would fall before they would hit the wall. And he would listen to their screams, and he would be more delighted if he continued to hear their screams after they hit the wall and fell to the bottom. This is the kind of rulership that they had over them in a time. And, you know, they couldn't vote him out, couldn't take him out. He was way too powerful for them. And then they hear Jesus sitting on a hill saying, hey, I want you to pray for those in leadership over you. I want you to love your enemies. The Romans? Yeah. I want you to bless them. I want you to do good to them. I want you to pray for them. And they're here listening like, Jesus, are we talking to the same guy? I thought you were going to start a kingdom. He's like, I am. I'm like, good. And you're going to take over Rome and get rid of this guy. And he's like, no. My kingdom's not like that. It's, it's, it's different. You think that's power. Let me show you what's really powerful. And he begins to talk to them about this. You know, well, they... They began to buy into this and began to pray and began to do good and began to love and began to live this out. Jesus died, was resurrected, went to heaven. His followers started taking this message all through the Roman Empire. They used the roads that Rome built just to take this message about this, this kingdom that lived differently. Well, Tiberius eventually died, and they were like, phew, he's gone. And he was followed by Caligula, who was even worse. Caligula didn't even hide on an island. He just did everything out in the open. And then they had, after Caligula was gone, then Claudius was the next, and he was no better. And then he died. And then around the time where Peter and Paul were writing their letters, there was a man named Nero, the most brutal emperor so far. Nero made the Christians die in an, in an auditorium, in a coliseum, as entertainment for the Romans. He, he would take Christians, these, these Jesus followers, the ones who were like, we're, we're blessing you, we're doing good, we're praying for you. And he'd say, yeah, that's fine. He'd grab them, dip them in hot oil, or, and then hang them up in his garden, light them on fire at night. And they would be living, burning sacrifices to light up his garden parties at night. This guy would feed them to the lions. He would, he would uh, uh, destroy as many as he could with such hatred for this people who just tried to show love, blessing, and prayer. For, for, for them. You know, it's likely that Paul and Peter both died in that, uh, that persecution as well at the hands of Nero. And then John, John writing a number of years later, survived all of that somehow. And there he is, and he's writing, and he, he knows that he's lost his friends. He's watched the hurt. He's watched the loss. He's seen all the suffering. He's seen the pain, the disappointment. He's like, wow, it's been a long time since Jesus said those words on that hill. Man, I've seen a lot of this incredible pain, incredible uh, hatred shown towards us, and yet this message still remains the same. He would have been living under the emperor Domitian, who said it was his goal to eradicate Christianity. Nero just did it for sport. Domitian did it as, a, as, a, as his mission. And yet, and yet, here's what John says. After all of that, after witnessing all that, here's what I'm going to write to you, followers of Jesus. Here's what he writes to you, followers of Jesus. First John 2.10. 
Verse 7, it starts, sorry, dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. Rather, it's the same, it's the old one that you've heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another, it's the same message you heard before, but it's new also. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. You're also living in it, for the darkness is disappearing. The true light, Jesus, he's already shining in you. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person's still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. As I read this last verse and I began looking up some of the words and things there, I saw that word stumble and it. You know that word stumble means? He's like those people who, uh, who love the fellow believers, they, they're not offended. They don't carry offense around. They don't hold the grudge around. You know, our culture is so easily offended. Everything offends people. Now it's like, there's one guy I know he says it all the time. He's, he, pre, he prefaces his statements by saying, hey, you know, no offense, but, and then he says something completely offensive, right? He's like, you know, apologize before and then, you know, and then say something offensive. Well, we have this thing that's so, you know, offense, and it just rips things apart, rips families apart. It tries to sneak into the church and tear churches apart, tear the church apart, you know, it's why we have so many different buildings all around this place because somebody got offended by somebody else's color of the carpet choice and said, well, fine, you can have your carpet, but we're not coming. We'll build a building down the road or we'll build one next door. You know, this thing, the enemy tries to permeate that into each of us and into the church. But, you know, he says this, those who love their fellow believers, those who treat them the way that Jesus was saying, they're actually living in the light and they, they don't cause others to have an offense, but they don't also carry an offense with them. That word offense, it's the word scandalon. It's a, it's a Greek word, but actually the word defi- describes this. When he says they don't have an offense, he's like, they don't have this thing right here, this little stick across this trap. That's what that word is. He says, they don't have one of those in them. They don't have this bait stick that that says, oh, yeah, you know, I heard the things. I'm going to go for it. He says, because you know what happens? In the end, it's a trap. In the end, you end up unhappy and angry. You know, that that unforgiveness, you're like, yeah, I feel better because I'm like, oh, I feel angry at them. And yet he says, you know what? By not letting that go, he says, it's actually a trap. He says, that fence is actually, it's, it's a trap to you. And John, you can see him just writing, hey, don't take the bait. He's like, that's what he's saying. Don't take the bait. You're not going to be any happier. Like Jesus said, don't try and revolt. That's not going to be the thing. He's like, here's, the, here's what I want you to do. I want you, to, I want you to, to love them. I want you to, to bless them. I want you to do good. I want you to pray for them. Gary shared those thoughts last week, this, the power of forgiveness. And it's, it's interesting. Our medical field has discovered this. Our scientific field has discovered how unforgiveness just, just breeds unhappiness in us. We say, yeah, it's important, but he's saying, I want you to do something with it. You know, a number of years ago, I'm hesitant to share this story because some of you know this person, but uh, on a fishing trip years ago, we were, we were out uh, with the fellas, and, and some of the guys, they just knew what to, get to say to get this one guy going. They'd be like, hey, you know, they mentioned something about the government. He would just go off on a tirade, like, blah, 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 and they thought, that's just the funniest to kind of watch him do it. And then as soon as he was done and coming down, finally he's calmed down, his heart's back to normal. They're like, hey, so what do you think of the natives? And blah, 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 and he would like, whoa. And then he's like, after that, he's like, hey, you know, and he'd start going off on everything. If it, uh, then uh, other different races and the government and the people on welfare and then the pastor who told him he shouldn't be saying stuff like that. He just went just off, just an angry, angry uh, bitter, bitterness that all on the inside. And you look and realize, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no joy in that. And it just continues to foster this poisonous feelings. You know, well, the interesting thought as we close today is this, that as you go for that, that bait stick of saying, ah, you know what? 
whatever it is inside that allows that gurgling to stay there. He says it will end up resulting in something negative in your life down the road. Here's the last thought I want to leave you with. About 300 years after this letter that John writes, 300 years. So John has written it 60 years later saying, hey, I've seen all this. I want you to do this kind of stuff. 300 years later, the church is still doing that type of thing in spite of the Roman oppression, the Roman rule, in spite of being fed to the, to the lions, they continued to live this out. Here's a thought, 404 AD. I shared this story before, but it's powerful. There's a little monk named Telemachus. A little monk named Telemachus who was, had traveled from his hometown to Rome, and he was uh, in Rome, and as he was going uh, along the streets in Rome, he, heard, he saw the people making their way to the, to the Colosseum, and so he was like, whoa, everybody's going there. He followed them along, and he found himself in the auditorium in that huge Colosseum just, just waiting with the rest to see what was going to happen. They're cheering, and he's like, oh, this is going to be exciting, and as, as he's there uh, waiting, he had no idea what he was waiting for. And then as he was there, all of a sudden, into the ring came all of these gladiators, and he watched them begin to slaughter one another. And he was like in disbelief and in shock. And as, as he continued to watch gladiator after gladiator die, and the people just cheering inside him, you know, this prayer rose up, in the name of Christ, stop. In the name of Christ, stop. And that wasn't, wasn't enough for him. He began, to, he began to shout out those words. But not being, over, not being able to overpower the, the, the whole crowd, he began to walk down through the crowd all the way down to the walls of the Colosseum um, battlefield. And he crawled over the wall, and this little monk, it says, walked into the, walked into the middle of this, of this arena with blood and gore and animals everywhere. And he found two, uh, two gladiators who were fighting one another, and he walked up to them, and he said, Stop. In the name of Christ, stop. And they stopped. And to the, to the disbelief of everybody around, they couldn't believe that their entertainment had been stopped by this little monk. So they grabbed rocks and they began to throw them at Telemachus until they bloodied and beaten him. And eventually he lay there bleeding and, and died on that floor. Historians recount the next steps differently. Some say that there was just silence that went through the whole place as they just watched this monk die. Others say that there was just a complete anger at what had happened uh, as a result of this little monk. And they, they, either way, they left the auditorium, left the Colosseum. But what we do know for sure happened is that word of that, that little monk's death reached the emperor, Honorius, who was in Rome. He heard about this little monk who sacrificed his life to stop a gladiatorial battle. And at that point, he right away said that uh, he, he declared that, that Telemachus would now be a, a victorious martyr for what he believed in. And in the very next breath, he declared that there would no longer be gladiatorial fights in the arena. That there no longer would be gladiatorial fights in the Colosseum. And so we have the picture of the Colosseum now, and I find it so powerful. They say that this is one of the things that destroyed the Roman Empire. One of the moments that helped take down the Roman Empire, the greatest empire that ever lived. The ones that Jesus was, that was, over, that was ruling over the people that Jesus talked to. He says, this is, this is it. 2,000, well, 1,600 years later, here's the remnants of that empire. And yet, take a look around you and around the world today. The kingdom of Christ is only growing stronger and is still existing thousands you know, of years later. Why? Simply because they did and they lived out what Jesus said. They didn't just believe it to be important. They actually lived it out. You know, I can picture John as he's writing the words to those early believers He's hearing about them hating one another, detesting one another, loving one another less. And he says, in the name of Christ, stop. In the name of Christ, you know, stop, stop hating one another. 
Stop loving one another less than you should. Stop loving one another less than you ought. Stop being offended with one another. Stop being so easily offended. Just stop. You know, we don't know what the response was that day. <laughs> we don't know. There's no letter back to John saying, hey, we did it. And I don't know that that's the most important thing, because I think for today, the most important response is mine and yours. So today, as you hear those same words, what, what is your response? If at the beginning of today, as we talked about those things, we showed pictures, and you, you felt some of the, the blood boiling on the inside, those feelings on the inside, what are you going to do with those names? What are you going to do? Maybe it's personal for you. Maybe it is a, 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 an ex-spouse, you know, an ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, business partner, Maybe it's, you know, mother-in-law, father-in-law, whoever it is. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's somebody. Maybe it's a neighbor, whoever. Maybe it's somebody from the church. What are you going to do with that? Would you choose today? Would you just decide today, I'm going to love, I'm going to bless, I'm going to do good, and I'm going to pray for that person? No, no more complaining. To, to, you know, I'm, I'm just going to love, bless, do good, and pray for them. Maybe it's political. Maybe you hear these parties, and yeah, it's just like, oh, it stirs up in you. Would you choose today to love them, to bless them? speak good of them, to do good towards them in any way you can, and ultimately to pray for them? Would you choose today to be that case? You know, when you hear people around you, if it's Jesus followers who are slamming our government, would you just ask them, hey, when's the last time you prayed for them? Sure, you can tell me what you feel, but have you prayed for them? And the next step, if you're real brave, say, hey, can we pray together for them? Believe me, they won't complain to you about it anymore, especially if you ask them to go first. And the last thing, maybe it's perennial. Maybe it's this thing that just keeps coming up in your life and you're not sure why. Would you choose today? Would you choose today that that becomes the end of the battle? That even if you just have to say, you know what, it's been there for so long. I don't even know. I've just lived with it my whole life. I, this person and I just don't know. Would you just choose today inside to say, in the name of Christ, it stops here today? At the power of Christ, it stops here today? Would you choose today to love that person, to bless that person, to do good towards that person in any way you can, and ultimately to pray for them? Would you choose that? Because last week, as we talked about this idea of forgiveness being something so important, it is so important, but it's so important that we do it, that we actually live it out. And why? Why? Here, let me leave you with this thought. Not because they deserve it. Not because they're such great people that they deserve it. Not because they earned it but simply because of what Christ has done for us. At the worship night, we sang this song called The Reckless Love of God. And it says this, When I was your foe, when I was your enemy, your love fought for me. So God lived that through me. While they're my enemy, would you help me to love for them? You know, I didn't earn it, and I didn't deserve it, and yet you gave your life for me. They didn't, you know, they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. But God, because of what you've done for me, I will offer it to them. It's the overwhelming, the never-ending, the reckless love of God that just continues on. Would you join and say, God, you know, that prayer of God, I can't do this on my own. Would you do it through me? You know, I say that to us as a church, my dear friends, my dear friends, in the same way, I don't want you to miss the mark. My dear friends, I don't want you to wander away from that, that truth because your life depends on it. And even more, maybe more important, is there's lives all around you that depend on how you live out the truth of forgiveness, the truth of love, the truth of blessing, the truth of doing good, the truth of praying for those who would not do the same for you. Can we pray? Father, this morning, uh, your words mess with us a little bit. That's okay. God, I pray that you do in each of our hearts what you desire to do so that 
that our lives might reflect you and your goodness and your incredible grace and love that you showed us through the cross. Father, for the, our, our brothers and sisters that we're at odds with, uh, God, I pray that you'd help us to be the change first inside of us, that you would do what's, what needs to be done, uh, that, that we may make those relationships right to whatever possible. Father, thank you for this amazing church family. Thank you for the love that flows through here. I pray that that continues to, to just to grow and to be a beacon to the world around us who's just so hurting and so needing of it. God, thank you for this time together. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.